Over 1,000 people have run down these aisles. And when you add it all up, they've won over $1 million in cash. Now it's on to $2 million. Who's got the classic Oval Team? I got the Oval okay, Team. Okay, you're on. It's Supermarket Sweep. And here is our host, David Ruprecht. you and welcome to supermarket sweep hi sean what's up david thanks for having me on the show i'm looking to stock up like always tell us how you know michelle i have no idea i don't know her at all the producers just put her next to me okay and what do you do michelle uh, i'm a full-time student at bakersfield college studying studying english how about you sean no school for me david no time for that because the world's gonna end so let's get this show on the road i'm ready to shop one go sean John's going right past those tumbled diet folks, and luckily he makes his way clear them as he moves over to diapers, and he is shopping fast. And with seconds ticking off, Sean makes a mad dash through the meat. Welcome back to Everything Allegedly. My name is Sean, and uh, yeah, and that's what we got to do. We got to fill up the carts. We got to get the stuff while we still can, and uh, time is running out. I don't know. Maybe it's not. It might be running out. Maybe it's not. We're going to discuss it today. I do want to thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. You know, there is just so many things out there vying for our attention these days, and uh, you could just, I mean, you could scroll on uh, Instagram all day. It never ends. So there's a lot out there trying to take our attention. And I certainly appreciate you listening to this show. And I'll make you a deal. All right, here's the deal. If you would rate and review this show, I will give you some information that just might save your life. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good deal. I think uh, I think that's definitely worth doing. But you know what? I guess if you don't rate and review the show, you still get to listen to the podcast. So anyway, I would appreciate it, though, and I definitely appreciate all the shares. The show is just doing great, continues to grow, and uh, I think a lot of that has to do with, uh, with your involvement. So thank you so much, dear listener, for that. So all right. Let's uh, let's talk about prepping. This is the most requested show topic that we have had. And maybe it's because in the introduction episode to the show, I was talking about a little bit about who I am and, and what I do and the kind of uh, things that define my life. And one of those things I mentioned is being a prepper because, yes, I, I am a prepper and so, uh, and I've, I think I've mentioned it a couple of other times. And anyway, uh, I think, uh, I think that the reason it is so, uh, requested is because people are feeling the need to be prepared because when you look around out there, it doesn't feel, uh, stable. It doesn't feel like everything. Okay. There is this kind of, uh, air of instability, and, um, and, and so that's why I think people are more focused, uh, at least more interested in preparing. It doesn't really feel like the, the, uh, steady hand of government on the tiller is leading us in the right direction, does it? So anyway, let's talk about it. Let's talk about, uh, being prepared, being a prepper of some sorts and, um, you know what it is. I'm going to go through, um, Kind of the reasons that uh, that that you might need <laughs> to get prepared, the reasons you might want to be a prepper, and then uh, we'll go through some actual practices. Now, for me, the reason I uh, started prepping or being a prepper is kind of like what I mentioned in the gun episode. Uh, it was just a no-brainer. I didn't think it was 
weird or, um, you know, <laughs> I didn't think it was the... I didn't think it was the realm of the lunatic fringe or anything like that. And um, so I really didn't have any reason to do it. Just like gun ownership, I figured that, you know, if it's something you can do, why wouldn't you do it? And um, I never thought it was crazy. I grew up around a lot of Mormon people. And Mormons are like the top dogs of preppers. And uh, I always thought it was cool that they had their, uh, well, it wasn't their basements because I grew up in Southern California. We don't really have basements, but their garages and they had these storage rooms full of, you know, food and supplies and stuff. And for some reason, I just thought it was super cool. So when I, I guess, moved out on my own, obviously when I'm a young kid, I'm not really doing any prepping. And then as I got a little bit older and I lived by myself, I did it a little bit, a little bit, not too much. When you're, uh, you know, a single guy on your own prepping is pretty easy because you're <laughs> pretty able to, uh, I guess, uh, defend yourself, feed yourself, whatever in an emergency situation, because it's just you. But now I have a family to care for. Now I have a family to think about if there if ever is a, you know, disruption in, um, in services or in, uh, you know, if there's a catastrophe of some kind, something that cuts us off from the supplies that, you know, sustain life. And so I think about it in a more serious way now. And speaking of these disruptions, speaking of things that can uh, disrupt life, uh, speaking of reasons that you would need to be prepared, well, there's a lot of them right now. There's a lot of things that are concerning to at least me and, um, Let's talk about some of these. The Ukraine war is obviously a big, giant, glaring issue that could turn into something much worse. And it could turn into something much worse because it seems like the people making the decisions want it to turn into something worse. It seems like they want World War Three. There is just... There's been no shortage of kind of off-ramps for conflict in this thing, and they're not taking them. They're just not taking them. At every single turn, it's escalate, 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 even though, broadly speaking, the war is very unpopular. Just last week, Biden, um, or the I should say the Biden administration, I don't think he's doing much, but I think there is probably some people behind him making the decisions. But anyway, they activated some reservists. And, um, you know, before that, they approved these cluster bombs. And th that should be, a, I believe, like a Geneva Convention war crime or something to use this particular munition. So it's like every chance they get, they're trying to trying to get this thing going. And um, it's scary because Russia, if you know anything about uh, military and strategy and wars, there's no way <laughs> a land war with Russia is going to be won by anyone <laughs> but Russia. And so that really, that really begs the question why we're getting into it. And uh, Russia is a by all accounts, a superiorly armed nuclear power. So we should really be worried about that. And so that is a good reason uh, to be prepping right now. Uh, specifically, we've talked on this show in the past about our money system and um, how kind of fragile that is. Our Federal Reserve dollars are coming to an end. And I don't know if it's going to be next week or in five years, but the money system that we have has an expiration date at some point. And we can just see this by looking at the currencies and empire of the past. All we have to do is realize that we are uh, not using the pound sterling and we're not using uh, Dutch money and we're not using Roman money for that point. It's because all of these empires come and go. And so the, the, um, the dollar supremacy, the U.S. dollar supremacy, is really uh, headed towards its end. And so that is going to cause a lot of changes in our society. And whether something is there to replace it in time to keep our quality of life the same, well, 
that has yet to be seen. So that is another uh, kind of glaring or, or looming aspect of our current situation that I really think warrants uh, some kind of preparation because an interruption to the money supply is, you know, as disruptive as it gets. Money really does make the world go round. And um, rogue governments... Rogue governments are definitely something to be concerned about. Again, historically speaking, you're most likely to be uh, murdered by your own government. It's just, you know, that's just how history goes. And so although I think that one is a little less likely in our modern age, uh, or at least I hope it is, well, it certainly is something to consider when being a prepper. Now, when I kind of look outside of my own bubble and my own concerns, I see that there's uh, people out there who are concerned about other things, what we might call an astronomical threat or something like that. Solar flares, comets, asteroids, you know, all these things that are out there in space. And uh, yeah, I'll be honest with you, I don't believe anything that comes from NASA. So me, personally, I am not particularly scared of asteroids or comets or any of these things because I don't know what to believe. I don't know what's up in our sky, and that one just really doesn't bother me that much. There is a guy named David Dubine who I listen to every once in a while. He's got some really interesting theories about what he calls the solar minimum, and so this has to do with the uh, cycles of the sun running in these 50- and 400-year cycles and whatnot, and it has to do with with crop yields and just how how um, how how the crops perform, and so he thinks that you know he is a, essentially as prepper as you can get, and that's because he thinks the sun is going to do strange things and um, it's going to lead to famine. And speaking of famine, we just mentioned war. Uh, war and famine always go hand in hand. So. There are a lot of reasons why you uh, should be a prepper, and uh, it can seem a little bit paranoid, but, you know, prepping takes, I don't know, relatively little effort, in my opinion, and so I think it's worth doing, even if the threats are, you know, somewhat uh, somewhat minimal as far as chance. Now, we've had it pretty good in uh, in the U.S., at least, for for the most part, for a long time, but it's not normal by world standards because really the only standard is change. And when you look uh, around the world, especially at lesser developed nations, they're constantly in turmoil. Uh, There's trouble with the power staying on. There's trouble with, uh, you know, governments being um, interrupted and overthrown and uh, civil unrest. And it's just... You know, if we get outside of our uh, U.S. national kind of bubble, we'll see that the world is just an unstable place, and it always has been, and it seems like it always will be. But we're just in this this uh, this uh, term of stability that makes it hard to see and hard to justify why we would be prepared. But I think we uh, we should even just here in the U.S. Look at our own systems that sustain our life, uh, specifically like our water system. Our water system is is pretty fragile. Most people don't understand how the water just comes out of the tap in their house. Now, me personally, I'm on a well, and so all of my water comes right from my property underground. But that's not how most people get their water. The vast majority of people are in cities and towns. That's where the population centers are. And those people have a municipal water supply. And that water supply is uh, generally pumped up to a tank in elevation, and it's pumped by an electric pump, and there's a bunch of sensors, and these days a lot of computer systems that control this water supply. And so if there is an interruption in our power then uh, then the water doesn't flow. And um, unlike where I'm at, uh, where everything is kind of contained on my property, you are relying on the municipal, the uh, local governments, and the, the local utilities to keep that water running. So I mentioned the electrical system. The water is dependent on the electrical system. And our electrical system is also 
very fragile and it's very aging and it's old technology. There have been many, many calls to update our electrical infrastructure in the U.S. and they've just fallen on deaf ears because when these days the Congress talks about infrastructure, they are talking about ridiculous things like social infrastructure and somehow we've spent record billions upon billions and trillions of dollars on infrastructure over the last couple of years, but Really nothing has been done to improve our roads, our our uh, municipal services, or anything like that. So the electrical inf infrastructure, it is aging, and it is susceptible to attack. There have been many, many reports that have j just shown the vulnerabilities of these systems. A couple of years ago, I think it was two years ago, Texas had that freeze. And something you might not know about Texas is they're basically on their own electrical grid. So... Um, in spite of, you know, how many people lost power there, they actually did very well. Well, everyone except Ted Cruz. <laughs> Ted Cruz was cruising to Mexico during that freeze on a private jet. So he made sure that the um, the peasants would figure it out. The peasants could figure out their own electrical system. It wasn't for him to worry about. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Um he was nice and warm in Mexico, but uh, but no, Texas did a fairly good job of it. It seemed like it was this, uh, you know, really terrible thing, and it and it was. But they have their own power system, and they did pretty well. Now the rest of the United States somewhat shares a um, an electrical system, and although it is in regions and everything, it's basically all connected. So there is a chance of a like a domino effect or a, uh, you know, some kind of uh, catastrophic failure over much larger portions of area. There's also something called EMP weapons, which are electromagnetic pulse weapons. Uh, these are widely believed to exist. And uh, who knows? I, I don't think they have been deployed at all yet. But uh, theoretically, the entire electrical infrastructure could be taken out by a rogue foreign government or even a false flag from our own government. So that's a possibility too. You know, sewage is also a big deal. Sewage is one of these systems like electricity and water. Now the, uh, the modern sewage plants are, uh, highly dependent on the electrical grid staying on. They're highly dependent on computer-controlled systems, and if the wastewater treatment breaks down, then uh, there is almost every opportunity for that waste to pollute the uh, the groundwater, the drinking water that we do have. And so all of these systems are interconnected. All of these systems that we take for granted, how uh, water comes into our house, electricity comes into our house, uh, waste, water, and sewage leave our house, all of these things we take for granted, but they absolutely shouldn't be taken for granted. These are life-sustaining systems, and, uh, and they're not bulletproof. They're not bulletproof, so we should prepare for that. Another, uh, you know, absolutely life-sustaining system is our system of food. Now, uh, grocery stores and um, food logistics in the USA runs on something called the JIT or the Just-In-Time Food Delivery System. And uh, what this is meant to do is to bring uh, items from manufacture to the store shelves as quickly as possible. So you might think that when, uh, I don't know, uh, cream of wheat is manufactured, that they're just warehousing millions of boxes of this stuff, and it's just sitting there waiting to be deployed to the store shelves. But with computer processing and, um, I guess, you know, modern uh, trucking and all of these systems being uh, very well, I'll say, um, kind of macro-managed, but now these systems are such a well-oiled machine that the products basically go from manufacturer to store shelves with the most minimal amount of warehousing. And uh, by most accounts and uh, any of the studies I've seen, we have about four days of food in that supply chain. So say the trucks stopped tomorrow, there's only about four days worth of food during normal consumption on the shelves. And so 
that four days of food, if there was some kind of panic, would be gone in an instant. I mean, it would be gone in an hour. If there was a uh, a news report that uh, supply chains were stopped, the food would be off the shelves almost immediately. Remember how the toilet paper panic worked during COVID. By the time you heard that there was a toilet paper shortage, the toilet paper was gone. And that is just a very, very minor um, example of what could happen if the supply chains of food are disrupted. So definitely don't want to be one of those who is rushing out with the uh, the mob if uh, food shortages start to happen because uh, chances are you're not going to get anything. There's not going to be anything left. Speaking of the mobs, uh, something that has been happening quite a bit lately is there seems to be a lot of looting and theft going on at grocery stores and uh, your kind of uh, drugstore retailers and whatnot. There are there are chains that are shutting down their locations um, in these uh, major cities because of theft or because of what they call shrink. Shrink is when um, essentially things are stolen from the store. And what most people probably don't realize is that profit margins, at least in grocery stores, are really small, like really, really small. It's because they depend on high amounts of volume to make their profits. Grocery stores actually take in a ton of money, but a lot of it goes back to purchasing that stuff. And so this theft really just goes to show how fragile the uh, the grocery stores and these retail operations are. If you think about it this way, say something costs a dollar and now a uh, general grocery store food item is probably a couple of percent in profit. So say something costs a dollar and it's two, three, four, whatever percent is the uh, profit margin. Now, if somebody goes in and steals that item, that is not just a 4% theft because the store had to buy that product. There's probably, I don't know, uh, it's 30 times the actual profit being stolen. So they might have to sell 30 of those items just to cover that one loss. And so these stores can't really uh, tolerate much shrink or tolerate much much theft or um, stolen product. So that right there just kind of goes to show what the incentive structures are for the food retailers and just how fragile it is. You know, if... Um, if there's social unrest, it doesn't take a lot of a uh, lot of theft or uh, a lot of panic to really shut down those operations uh, permanently. And there is a, a feeling of instability. There is a feeling that things are just not trending in the right direction. And I would argue that these things are being orchestrated. It's not just by chance. You have these actors like your George Soros and now his son who has taken over, Alex Soros. These people uh, thrive on instability. They, uh, they, they thrive on um, disruption of society. In fact, that's the exact business model of George Soros. Most people don't know the way this guy made billions of dollars is because he collapsed currencies in other countries. In fact, he's done it over 20 times in 20 different currencies, he has contributed to the collapse of that money system. And uh, many of these places had uh, pensions and what what is similar to our Social Security. And his business strategy, his his profit method was to crash these currencies so that he could buy everything up cheaply, buy up all the infrastructure, and then sit on it and make a ton of money on the other side. And in fact, that is how um, what is generally considered the richest family in the world, the Rothschild family, made all of their money, which you might not know this story either. Uh, the OG Rothschild, I think his name was Mayor... Mayor Almstead Rothschild or something like that. Anyway, this dude back in the late 1700s, early 1800s, he was a banker, uh, sort of worked closely with the royal family of that time. And um, and the Napoleonic Wars were happening. And the Battle of Waterloo 
was uh, what was going on when, um, well, when he basically pulled off this scam. What happened was they didn't have, obviously, like Twitter. There was no way to follow the war in real time. And it was dependent on, you know, couriers and, uh, you know, kind of word of mouth and whatnot. And so uh, Rothschild, the uh, daddy Rothschild, whatever, uh, Mayor Rothschild, he had, uh, I guess, a, a, a more sophisticated network of uh, communication, something we might uh, consider today like uh, like the Pony Express. It was a system of like uh, horse-backed couriers. And so what happened was the Battle of Waterloo was actually won, and, inst- and he knew that. And so what he did was he started to sell, 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 like all of his, um, it would be like the stock market of today. He was selling, selling, selling. So all the traders around him were going, oh my gosh, this is bad news. This is signaling that the war has been lost. We are going to liquidate. We're going to sell and just crashed the market. Now he knew that the battle of Waterloo was won. And so what he did was waited for essentially all of his competition to sell off and then he was able to buy up everything in an instant. And then when uh, when the masses found out that the war has actually been won, the market rebounded. And who was holding all the bags at that time? Well, it was him. It was the uh, Rothschild family. And they went on to essentially bankroll the king and, um, and essentially take over all money at that time. And so that's why still today they're considered the richest family ever. So the point of that story is that there are powerful people who want chaos. There are powerful people who want to make uh, these kind of currency movements happen because uh, movement makes markets. The uh, stable growth doesn't really do anything for the uh, the greedy elites. They don't like that. And um, if there's no uh, drastic changes in the market, they can't uh, trade around, you know, the rest of our futures and uh, and make huge sums of money after that. So really what it is is an international shell game with rising and falling currencies, rising and falling societies, and a lot of people, well, not a lot of people, a select few people making huge profits and consolidating wealth with that. So is that enough? <laughs> is that enough reason for you to uh, to get prepared? Maybe. I'm not even done. <laughs> I guess uh, I guess we should worry about zombies too. <laughs> I don't know. It seems like everyone walking around is half a zombie these days. Seems like the drug companies are making zombies out of people. Anyway, you know what? I'm not gonna not gonna talk anymore about the reasons why you should be preparing. Let's get into what you can do. Let's get into some solutions. After all. Uh, we got we got to get into solution. There's just there's too much bad news. We got to talk about the good stuff. Now I'm going to talk about the way that I think about prepping. I'll talk about what some of the uh, popular, uh, or uh, I'll call it the um, status quo knowledge of prepping is, and then um, and then I'll give you some of my own tips for each one of these categories. And I'll give you all the categories now. This is the way I think about preparedness. And these are the categories of prepping that I pay attention to. And the first one is water and then food, defense, energy, safety, money, and options. And I'm going to go through those right now. Now, water can either be a very difficult one or it can be a very tough one. So the first thing you've got to do when prepping and prepping for water, because water runs out quick. I, I mentioned the water systems earlier. If uh, if the taps stop running, water, uh, drinkable water runs out real quick. So the first thing that you have to do is you have to take stock of your situation. Before I moved to the East Coast, I lived in just about the worst place you could possibly imagine for prepping uh, for water. And it's because I lived in um, Palm Desert, Palm Springs area. And uh, if you didn't know, it's a desert and it's super dry and there's like no water there. But again, I was a single guy at this time. I wasn't too worried about it. And my prepping wasn't all that serious. 
what I did was I make sure I made sure that I knew where the water was. I knew where the storage tanks were. There is a giant aqueduct that flows through there that was a couple of miles away. And I knew how to find all these things. I knew where the springs were. There's actually a couple of springs out there. So anyway, I had taken stock of where those things were. And if I had to uh, even get there on foot, I could have done it. Now, where I live now is a complete different story. My property is actually in watershed land, so that means water flows through my property and into an, uh, a, uh, a reservoir. So I have no shortage of water, but, uh, but it's not purified, and um, especially in a situation like a nuclear war, that nuclear fallout could get into the water supply and contaminate everything at the ground level. And um, although I do have ways to get water from my well, even during a total power outage, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about usable groundwater. So you should have a, a way to find water, and then you should be able to purify that water somehow. Now, there's a lot of water purifiers on the market, and you can go down the rabbit hole, and you can check out a bunch of prepper websites, and you can—the sky is the limit. When it comes to water purification, you can spend a fortune, but the tip that I'm going to give you today is a relatively inexpensive one, and, um, and I do it myself as a backup. You should have a gravity water pitcher filter around, you know, just like uh, the original Brita filters— these are super convenient, they're very cheap, and if you need to drink some kind of surface water in the event of an emergency, all you have to do is run it through one of these filters. And by the way, in an emergency, in a, uh, a system collapse scenario, even if water is coming out of your tap, you shouldn't drink it, because as I mentioned, the uh, sewage can get into the fresh water uh, because of the way these systems work. So anyway, get yourself one of these pitchers. And uh, there's two of them I can recommend, and I will post them in the show notes. One of them is called, uh, it's some Chinese name. It's uh, H, uh, it, it's basically Skyhan, H-S-K-Y-H-A-N. And it's just one of these gravity filters, but it tests very, very well. And um, it's very affordable. It's like $35. You get the pitcher and you get like four extra filters. And um, Mike Adams actually tested this filter against radioactive material. And uh, it filtered out essentially all of it, 99.9%. So if you don't have any water filtration for prepping, pick up one of these while you still can. Super cheap. And by the way, I don't have any Amazon affiliate anymore. I'm just essentially telling you about this because I care about you because I want you to be okay. And, uh, you know, if you need any prepping advice, the other one is one that I also have. It's called a pro one. And it's the same thing. It's one of these pitcher filters. And this one has a ceramic filter. And the cool thing about this one is you really only need one of them because it will get dirty on the outside. You can take a sponge and you can clean the filter off and put it right back in, and it'll continue to work. I actually had this one when I lived in New York City, and you would actually see the exterior of the ceramic filter just get caked with, like, nasty pipe rust and goo. It, it was disgusting, but uh, the cool thing about it is you can just clean it off and keep using it, and I actually still have that same one now. Um, I have a reverse osmosis system, so I don't use it, but both of the pictures I just mentioned are in my personal prepping supplies, and I keep both of them uh, ready to go should I need it. So there you go. For water, my prepping advice is get yourself a gravity pitcher. They're super cheap right now, so pick one of those up. All right, the next uh, topic is food. Now, food is one that I would say the most focus of prepping is on. Just like the uh, Mormons that I mentioned earlier with their storage rooms full of food. It was like they had a grocery store in their garage. I thought that was super cool. But it can be a really uh, difficult and time-consuming pursuit. And so I, I have a little bit different method for it. Now, you can go out and you can buy uh, kind of very expensive, well, not very expensive, they're, they're somewhat expensive 
storage food from these prepper companies and they'll sell buckets or cans of freeze-dried food and it's got all kinds of good stuff in there uh you know compared to what i do these things like you know everything from uh, it's like full meals with sauces and drink mixes and, and all that good stuff but um I, I don't really do it that way what i do is um, I do I do prep I do store food but I do it in a much more lazy much more economic way and it might not be the best way to do it but one thing's for sure uh, me and my family we're not going to starve to death if there's a food shortage and uh, and I have quite a bit of it built up just because of the way I do it and so like I said if you want to go out and buy uh, pre uh, pre organized and pre portioned out. Uh, survival food. You can absolutely do that. There's no shortage of companies out there that supply it. But um, here's my method. Here's how I prepare with stored food. Traditionally, the way stored food came is in um, number 10 cans. These look like oversized coffee cans, and they're a great airtight way uh, to, to save food. And then recently, there's been like the Home Depot style buckets with the lid and and that's a lot of way that uh, preppers store food. But the way I do it is with these Home Depot bins. Home Depot has these red bins and uh, the, the special thing about them is that they have a locking lid. Each one has six locks on it and under the lid is a, uh, a sealing gasket. So these things are actually airtight and they're very affordable. They're they're like they're about twenty dollars each. They come in a bunch of different sizes. I'll post a link to them also so you can see the ones I'm talking about. But you can just go right on down to Home Depot and buy these things super easy and pretty cheap. And they hold a lot more than a bucket or a number 10 can. And so that's what I store the food in. Now, where do I get the food? Now the food is just kind of uh something that accumulates and gets moved through these boxes over time. So a good, for instance, is yesterday I was at Home Depot. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I was. But yesterday I was at um, Costco, you know, just doing our normal shopping. And um, I saw that there was a 10-pound bag of uh, pancake mix for $6. And uh, that's a lot of calories in a little bag of, of dry ingredients. And uh, all you got to do is add water to this particular product. And so although I have a bunch of prepping food already stored, uh, you know, what the hell? It's six bucks and that's a ton of calories. Now, I don't eat a lot of pancakes and um, a lot of what I have stored is rice and beans and these other kind of dry goods. I don't eat a lot of those either. But I do have a lot of it stored. And this is one of the criticisms of the prepper community. They're like, you must eat the food that you store and blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't do that. And I understand that there would be some kind of adjustment to, uh, you know, to, to starting to eat this food. But my goal is to just not starve to death. So my recommendation to you is if you are going to store some food and you want to do it in a way that's cheap and easy and effective, get some of these totes. And um, when you're at the store, whether it be something like Costco or just the grocery store, find the dry goods like the rice and beans, find the canned goods, get stuff like flour, sugar, salt, all of these uh, staple items, and just put them in that bin. And then you can also get some, some oxygen absorbers from Amazon Throw them in there. They'll soak up all the oxygen, and then your food won't get bad, uh, go bad, at least not for a long time. So that's the way I prep for food. It's uh, pretty easy and effective. And so that would be my recommendation if you're not already a uh, serious prepper. Now, one thing I will add is you should probably throw some coffee and some other items like that in there. I prep and I store a bunch of coffee because uh, if there is a crisis situation, the last thing I want to be is without coffee. And so I have some of these uh, kind of freeze-dried vacuum packs of coffee uh, uh, in, my, in my prepping supplies because uh, you definitely want to be on your game if there's a collapse. All right, so the next one, defense. Defense. <laughs> Defense can mean uh, can mean a lot of things, and that's why I put it broadly in a category. And this can mean like your uh, 
like your home security system or um, just kind of how your your uh, take stock of your 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 home, your surroundings, and what it would take to defend your family if there was social um, unrest or social upheaval. Now, the easiest way and most effective way to defend yourself is obviously with a gun. And so although I have other methods of prepping for defense, guns are the main, uh, I guess, preppers defense item. And I'm not going to get too much into this because uh, I did an entire episode on guns. I am a gun enthusiast, and I think everyone who wants to own a gun responsibly should do so. And the main reason for prepping a gun for defense um, during a uh, prepping scenario is because guns would be a great deterrent. And um, hopefully, God forbid, you would never have to use the guns But if you did, the most likely scenario is that they are a deterrent. And that's because if there is looting, if there is social unrest, should there be hungry people who are then, uh, you know, for uh, less uh, 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 compassionate terms, zombie hordes that are out looking for your food supply, well, most times just brandishing a weapon is going to tell them, hey, move along. There's nothing for you here. And so my recommendation for prepping with guns is, uh, <laughs> is the AR-15. I know it is a scary gun, but uh, really it is the most effective gun. And that's, and that's why it's so hated. The thing about an AR-15 is it requires much less training than a pistol. A pistol is relatively hard to use, hard to shoot accurately without a lot of training. So if you plan to do a lot of training, by all means, get yourself a uh, you know a pistol, learn how to use it. They're a lot of fun, and um, obviously I have a uh, few of them, and I love shooting them. But if you're going to be more of a hobbyist, if you're going to uh, just uh, prepare with a gun uh, for a prepper scenario, then my recommendation is an AR-15 platform, uh, you know, rifle or pistol. Now there's a lot of nuance because there's a lot of laws depending on where you live, how you get these and whatnot. But the reason I recommend them so highly is because they are very effective. They require, uh, a small amount of training and, um, and they're, they're kind of infinitely customizable. And that's another reason they're so good for prepping. The parts are everywhere. The parts are all over the place. They're ubiquitous. And so if something was to happen, there is a massive supply of AR-15 parts that are mostly all standard just out there in the world. And you know what? I actually, right now, like this day, am building uh, kind of an experiment. I tried to build the cheapest AR-15 that I could, the cheapest one possible. And so I'll probably do a separate little video about that. If you want to see how to build just a super cheap AR-15 for defense and uh, then check out my minds channel. Uh, I'm probably won't post it on Instagram. I don't think it'll go over very well over there, but uh, come on over to minds. Uh, the, the main channel is still at conspiracy guide and I will post just a real Uh, basic overview of the AR-15 and how you can build one super cheap. So anyway, uh, if if you want to uh, prep with a gun for a uh, shit-hits-the-fan scenario, that would be my recommendation, and uh, come on over to Mines and check that out. Now, the next thing is energy, and energy can take on many, many different forms, but uh, the one that I'm going to focus on here is just kind of energy for your home. How would you power your home if our fragile uh, electrical system, our electrical grids broke down? And I think that the best way to do it is with a variety of different options. Now, I have a few different generators, a few different electrical generators, and my home has a changeover switch. It's basically a small switch next to my electrical panel, and I can turn on selected things in my home. So I can run a small generator and only run, say, my well pump 
and um, a couple other necessary items. And a very small generator, a very efficient generator, will run a couple of services uh, in my home that I need to keep the water on or something like that. And I have a larger generator that I can run, which takes a lot more fuel to keep it running. But if I wanted to run my, say, my entire house or most of my house, then I could run that generator. But the thing is, these generators kind of run at a constant speed and a constant fuel consumption. So I have a small generator and I have a big generator. And the thing about these generators is that uh, they are uh, uh, they have varying fuel sources. And so here's my main tip for energy and using a generator. Fuel has, a, a, there are a lot of different fuels and they have a hugely different um, uh, shelf life. Like storing gasoline is very difficult. Gasoline is very unstable and you can only store it for like, I don't know, six months or so. I store mine a little bit longer than that because mine is pretty temperature controlled and I put stabilizer in it and, and blah, blah, blah. But, um, but gasoline is a very poor choice for storing. Next, you have diesel. Diesel actually lasts quite a long time. It can be stored very, very effectively, especially at stable temperatures. So the next in the list of storable fuels is diesel. Most people don't have a diesel generator, though. So you're probably uh, not going to be storing large amounts of diesel and running your generator off of it. But then there's the, the last option, which is natural gas and, um, and propane. Now, natural gas is usually supplied by a city. There's usually municipal natural gas. And so I wouldn't necessarily want to prep with a natural gas generator because that relies that the municipal systems stay on. However, we come to propane. Propane is super easy to store. It uh, has an almost infinite storage life. It's very dense in the, um, in the bottles that it stores in. My house happens to have a large propane tank because uh, some of our heating and our range runs off of it. So I have a propane generator and I can actually just tap off of that large tank into my propane generator and I can run it for a long time if I needed to do it. So my tip on this one would be get yourself a generator and make sure it's a dual fuel or a multiple fuel source and then uh, get some uh, some propane uh, tanks because propane stores for a long, long time. You don't have to rotate it, and it will be there when you need it. Also, figure out what the consumption is in hours on your generator and figure out how long the amount of fuel that you have will sustain the things that you need. Maybe all you need to do is charge batteries and, um, you know— Things like that, relatively uh, low amounts of usage. But your prepping plan will determine that. Uh, then there's money. Money is, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a huge unknown with prepping. But uh, you do want to prep with some money. And uh, one of the most effective ways to prep with money is with cash. Now, I like I have mentioned, I have some serious issues with the dollar. Um, and, I, and I think that it's headed for some kind of collapse. But in a collapse scenario, at least right now, those cash dollars are going to be good for a while. People will still uh, view them as money. And so if the computer systems go down and all of our banking is based on computers, if the electrical grid goes down, you're going to want to have some cash on hand. Make sure you uh, make sure you hide it well. Make sure you um, put it somewhere where it is not uh, not subject to uh, being robbed being stolen. You know, the next one there is crypto. I'm not really big on uh, crypto for for uh, for prepper scenarios, but you could certainly prep with some crypto. I have some crypto. I don't know that it's going to be all that useful in a shit hits the fan scenario, but I uh, certainly have some. And then my last recommendation for prepping is uh, silver coins. Now, this is my personal recommendation. I like silver coins for prepping because silver has intrinsic value where paper money, fiat money doesn't have it. And um, my tip for prepping for silver coins is going to be don't contact one of these, these gold companies. Uh, I've mentioned it before. Don't contact them. They're not going to give you the best deal. Go online to a reputable dealer like SD Bullion or one of these other dealers and just get some sovereign 
mint, silver coins. And the reason, um, now I have, I have all different kinds. I have some, uh, uh, silver rounds, which aren't from a sovereign mint. And, um, then I have, uh, some that are sovereign mint. Sovereign mint means that means they were, uh, minted by a government source. So these are like the South African Cougarans. These are like the, uh, I, uh, the, uh, the Chinese, uh, uh, Panda coins. There, there's a bunch of them. But anyway, you can, those ones are the most recognizable. And these are silver coins that should the currency break down, they are going to, no matter what, be worth something because precious metals have shown in the past to be worth something. So I don't have a ton of them. I'm not really like a precious metal speculator, but I have a few silver coins around because in the worst scenario, those will be money. So my, uh, my tip for this category, get yourself some silver coins and um, get them as cheaply as possible. And you can do that, again, go to one of these online retailers, make sure it's a reputable one, get yourself some silver coins and uh, keep them, uh, again, like the cash, keep them hidden and uh, keep them secure. Also, I just want to note, if you come looking for my silver coins, <laughs> you will uh, you'll have a bad time. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. Don't come looking for mine because in my house is protected by the good Lord and a gun. And if you show up unwelcome, you might meet them both. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. And uh, the last the last category here is options. And options is generally how I categorize what a lot of people call um, bug out. A lot of people call EDC their everyday carry. But uh, the way I think about it is I don't I don't really do like and an everyday carry. I don't carry like a bunch of prepper supplies around with me. Some people get really serious about it. They they wear like cargo pants and they're filled with preparation items and stuff. I'm just not that organized. No shade to you. If you can do that, hey, that's great. You do you. I'm not that organized. So I have essentially like one of those boxes I mentioned full of what would be considered say uh like uh bug out items and um and, and that's what I would use. Uh, th these are things that you just want to prepare if you're going to escape. And when I mean, when, when I say options, you should have a plan to go somewhere else. If the uh, disaster or if the scenario plays out in your area, you're going to need options to go somewhere else. So I have my, my options planned out. I have some quite rural places that I can go to that I have... Uh, kind of, uh, uh, planned out or planned for. And, uh, thankfully these are some of my family members. And so if there was a scenario where I have to leave my home, then I can, uh, then I know where I'm going to go. And so those are the options you need. Just a plan. Should you have to, uh, get away from, from where you are now, my tip for this one is probably not going to apply to everyone, but, uh, I have a vehicle that I, I, uh, it's not my daily driver, but it is a big diesel Ford F-350 and it's an old one and it has a diesel engine, uh, that it will burn damn near anything. It's called a, a 7.3 power stroke. And, uh, these engines are just great. You can put damn near anything in them and they're just going to burn it and go. And then if you're on the East coast or if you're somewhere cold, just know that heating oil Though the kind that your house burns is essentially diesel. So I don't have to store diesel other than what I have 750 gallons of it in my basement. And I have a truck that can use it for fuel. So that is my tip. You know, be creative with it. Um, but anyway, the reason I also like diesel for a prepper vehicle is because the gas pumps, gasoline is probably going to be a lot harder to get than diesel. At least that is the way I see it. So anyway, I, you know, I forgot one. I forgot one. I forgot um, a category and that would be safety. Safety is going to be all of the other items you need, like, uh, you know, the easy stuff like flashlights and whatnot. And uh, think of anything that you use to go camping. In fact, camping supplies are great prepping supplies. So, you know what, if you like camping and you got a, a bunch of camping stuff, there you go. You got a bunch of uh, prepper stuff right there ready to go. But the, uh, the tip that I have for safety is in the category of medicine. 
because medicine is one of those things that you won't be able to get. So like coffee that I mentioned, if there's something that you use that you're going to need in a uh, scenario where the supply chains break down, you're going to need to stockpile some of that medicine. But then there's also emergency medicine. And uh, a lot of this stuff is over the counter. It's really cheap. You go to Costco, there's a lot of, you know, NSAIDs or uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. There are, um, there are gauze bandages that stop bleeding, which are really great. I'll actually, uh, post one of those. You can get those on Amazon and these are like gauze wraps. So if you had like a serious cut or something, you could wrap these on there and they coagulate it instantly and keep you from bleeding out. So I keep quite a few of those on hand, but the tip that I'm going to give you for prepping for medical supplies is for antibiotics. Antibiotics can be relatively difficult to get in the U S but I have a tip for you. If you go on Chewy, Chewy, the pet supply company. And uh, if you search for fish antibiotics, fish antibiotics are not regulated. Not yet. And uh, so if you need to get some antibiotics for your fish for an emergency, then that would be a good idea. After all, we don't want our fish to be hurt during a shit hits the fan scenario. So. Me, personally, I have quite a bit of antibiotics stocked up for my fish. And the nice thing is, the fish antibiotics are exactly the same as the human antibiotics. And I love my fish so much that I just don't want anything to happen to them. So I keep a lot of fish antibiotics on hand, if you catch my drift. <laughs> anyway, that is my, uh, that is my tip for the uh, safety and, and medicine section. And so I think that brings us to basically everything. Those are all of my tips. And, um, and please, if you're interested in this topic, take it to the next level. There is no shortage of prepper content out there. And, um, you know, once you kind of establish your, your system and everything, it, it'll become a well-oiled machine. And it doesn't take a lot of maintenance once you get it set up. Hopefully you can use some of my tips to, uh, to start you on that process. Now, I just want to also mention that another way that you got to prep is with your mind. You need to prepare your mind for these scenarios. So the important thing is don't freak out. Don't freak out. Remain calm. And um, it reminds me, it sort of brings to mind Xanax. I know that sounds terrible, but <laughs> y'all know my history. The thing with Xanax is, you usually aren't having a panic attack if you have some. If you have some in your possession, it usually makes you feel okay because you know it's there. It's when you run out of it that you really freak out. And so that's the thing with prepping. It's peace of mind. Keep it on hand. You'll feel better about it. You'll be more at ease with the instability. And um, <laughs> it's a bad example. I get it. Uh, <laughs> Prepping is much better for you than Xanax. But anyway, you got to come to terms with kind of our fragile existence. You've got to come to terms with, um, you know, the fact that things could break down. And if they do, you are prepared to handle it. It is peace of mind. It's safety. And it's good for your soul. I promise you that. So in this, uh, in this world that is just defined by kind of, weakness and tolerance for everything and softness. Be hard, harden your mind, be resilient and, uh, and be hard to kill, you know, uh, be, uh, just, just be a rock and, um, and make sure that, that if scenarios happen, you are prepared for them. And so, uh, Go, go on over to Minds. Follow follow me on Minds at Conspiracy Guide. I'm going to post a bunch more prepper tips over the next two weeks so that you can see those. But I also want to read out a couple of uh, comments. What I did on Minds was I, uh, I made a post. I asked people about some of their uncommon prepping methods. And I want to share a couple of those here. Minds is great 
because you can actually promote posts on there. And so if you want a lot of people to see it, you can just pay. I think I paid $6 or something and I got a ton of feedback. And so I got a lot of really good prepper, um, prepper tips. And I want to share a couple of them with you. Uh, Somebody uh, called uh, backslash occupant uh, said that they that they prep by um, by collecting old textbooks like chemistry and engineering. So I think that's a great prep. I think that if the uh, digital system that we have, if the Internet goes down, if the electrical system we have goes down, you're going to need to know how to do things. And Google may not be there. So I love that. I love that prepping tip. Uh, somebody. Uh, called confetti crafts. Uh, their their tip was to uh, collect kitchen tools that don't require electricity, like a mortar and pestle, and a hand cranked grain mill, and a meat grinder, and an egg batter, uh, um, egg beater, and um, you know, other uh, like a knife sharpener. A lot of really uh, great tips there because if uh, if the power is down and you don't want to run your generator all day long and use up that precious fuel it's going to be great to have some of these items on hand that don't use electricity but then i got to admit my favorite prepper advice on here is uh, comes from Zeno Demon all right and uh, in his picture he's wearing a gas mask so i assume he is a good prepper uh his comment for um for uh for for less common prepping methods was a list of local sex offenders because if shit hits the fan then it's open season (laughs) yeah shout out to you xeno demon that is a great prepper method because after all if the cops aren't around to help, do we really want a bunch of uh, pedos running around? We definitely do not. So um, I will just leave that there. It is what it is, but I really appreciated that comment. <laughs> anyway, that has been enough. Enough about prepping. Please check out the show notes for uh, some of these links, some of these items that you can get for yourself to get prepared. And uh, you really will benefit from the peace of mind. Now, I've got a song for you. Always try to have a song for the audience. And when I was thinking about songs, there is really only one. There is the greatest of all time prepper song. And that song is Cypress Hill, When the Shit Goes Down. Because when the shit goes down, you better be ready. (laughs) And so I don't know if you know this song, but I loved this song growing up. And um, it's it's really everything is right there in the song that you need to know about prepping. When the shit goes down, you better be ready. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I will see you next time. <laughs>